Philippians chapter 3, it is a series really through the book of Philippians because Philippians is kind of thought of as the book of joy. The apostle Paul writes this book, or what do you call it, a letter really for him, to this people that he loves. This is his favorite church. I know as a pastor you're not supposed to have favorites, but that's not true. It's a lie. I like some of you better than others. Some of you drive me crazy. Some of you are easy on me. And so anyway, he's, he has a favorite church just like all of us do. And so he's like writing to them this incredible story just of, of, of maybe sometimes it's lessons, sometimes it's teaching, sometimes it's inspiration, sometimes he's just sharing his story. But there's such incredible insight. And he actually uses the word joy or rejoice, I think over 15 times in this one small letter. It's only four chapters. And so that's the theme of this book is joy. And so in chapter one, what we learn was is he's talking about his circumstances and he's in prison as he writes this letter, which normally would not be the most joyous occasion. He wasn't at Christmas party, about to eat food, hanging out with friends. That's not where he wrote this letter. He wrote it from inside of a prison cell. But he said this, he had this radical way of looking at the world. He decided that in every situation, he would just look for the good, and he would look for God, and he would look for the joy. Like that's a that's almost like a muscle that you have to develop and strengthen the ability to look at any situation and say, where's God in this situation? Where's the good? Where's the joy? What's God up to? And what we learn is this, is that temporary happiness, this is where we look for like the things that in the moment and the quick fix makes us happy. Temporary happiness, if you could put this on the screen, is a byproduct of our circumstances. But lasting joy is a byproduct of our perspective. I mean, he literally says in chapter one, he goes, well, if they kill me, I get to go be with Jesus, and that's good. And if I live, I keep ministering to people, and that's good. So either way, it's good. That's perspective. That is, And that type of way of looking at life creates joy as you walk with God. Now, last week we talked about something different because he totally shifts gears in chapter 2. He starts talking about your relationships with people. Because we know that when we are in broken relationships or stress or strain or turmoil in our relationship, man, there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of restless nights, there's a lot of anxiety. It's painful when we are in broken relationship with the people that we love. And it was real simple. I mean, honestly, it's just the quality of your relationships is connected to your joy. It's, it's unavoidable. And he shares the gospel and how basically, he basically shows you how Jesus coming to earth that if you would adopt that mindset in coming to people, which I don't even have time to talk about, it is brilliant. Go get the sermon from last week. It'll change your relationship. So today, everybody say today. Today, he just, again, he kind of takes a look at something different. He starts talking about something that I think, at the end of the day, what you're going to learn is this. Is Paul addresses the way that you look at your past, your present, and your future. And it's awesome. So if you have your Bible again, uh, Philippians chapter 3, let's dive in here. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, he starts off with addressing a church issue that's going on. And he says this, he goes further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There's that idea of joy again, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Everybody say again. It's a safeguard to you. As a matter of fact, what, he's, what is he telling you? I already wrote this once. I already told y'all this once. I'm going to say it again. And it's no problem for me to say it again. Parents, can I get an amen? Sometimes you got to repeat stuff. Sometimes when you have a teenager, um, they don't get it the first or second or 20th time. You just got to keep, you got to stay on message sometime. And I think what Paul's saying is that not only is it, is it something I just got to say, it's worth saying again. This is what I think about sermons. Um, I think if a sermon is so good, 
bless God, it is worth preaching again. So I, I'll just, I'll just, every once in a while, I'll go into the archives, like that needs to be said again. Because Jesus did the same thing. That's why he would say, again, I say to you. Da, 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 da. Why? He said it again. It's worth saying again. And so he's telling them something that he's already told them. And in verse two, he says this. He goes, watch out for those dogs. That's kind of harsh. I don't know who he's talking about. Those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. I feel like he's talking about like a horror movie for a second there. Like, watch out for Freddy Krueger and Jason or what? I don't know. I don't, that's what my parents mistakenly allowed me to watch as a child. I don't know what there is today. But anyway, I'll tell you what that means. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those manipulators of the flesh. For, for it is we who are the circumcision. Who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, here's what he's saying. The, the context of what's going on is, is that his church has issues. Now, our church has different issues, but I'll at least share with you what's going on with theirs, right? In their day, they had a group of people called Judaizers. All right, everybody say, everybody say Judaizers. So they were Jewish people who infiltrated the, infiltrated the Christian church, and they were basically making the Christians adhere to all the different stuff in the Old Testament, right? So this whole idea of mutilators of the flesh, okay, this gets gross. This is why Paul says, we are the circumcision who just love Jesus, worship Jesus, serve Jesus, or whatever. The reason why he called them mutilators of the flesh is because you had these Jewish guys going into the Christian church full of a bunch of Greek pagans. And he goes, all y'all dudes need to get circumcised or you can't be right with God, right? And the men's ministry cut in half, right? So, for real. So that's what's going on here. And what these Judaizers were doing was is that they were taking these laws and these rules and these commands. So the Old Testament had about 613 commands. And if you were a really good Jew, you tried to follow all of them. And that was what these Judaizers were saying. No, you got to follow all that. You got to be a rule keeper. Now, how many of you are good rule keepers? <laughs> Babe, thank you. Good. There's literally just my wife. That's the only one. Okay, so most of us stink at rule keeping. That's all that really means. But what they had done was, is they had gone in and said, well, hey, if you follow the rules, you'll be right with God. If you follow the rules, God will like you. If you follow the rules, you're in. And that's not the gospel. That's not it at all. As a matter of fact, like the, the, the law of the Old Testament, the intent and the purpose of it was never to determine who was in or out. As a matter of fact, when God gave the Ten Commandments, he said, you're already in. You're mine. I delivered you. Now, let me give you some rules to help you to keep free, right? Maintain freedom. That's what following all these, following in the ways of God is designed to keep you free. That's what they were designed to do. But the, the Jewish people had designed them as a way to see who was in and who was out. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. And what you find him saying is this, is that ultimately there is no joy in legalism. There's none. Legalism is not fun. Legalism is ultimately replacing rules for relationship with God. And here's what that ends up producing. It ends up leading to either false guilt or false confidence. Have you ever met a religious person that thought they were really good at keeping the rules? They're obnoxious. Because they're always judging you for being bad at keeping the rules. And so if you're really good at keeping the rules, the temptation you have is to judge other people. You have a false confidence. You think because you kept all the rules that God loves you. Actually, he loved us all. That's the reality. That's the radical nature of God's infinite love is he loved the rule keepers and the non-rule keepers. Loved us all. And that wasn't the thing that kept you in or kept you out. That was the thing that kept you free or kept you dysfunctional. 
So God wants you to walk in his way so you can be free. Not so that he can determine whether he loves you or not. And guess why Paul said we are the circumcision who have put our faith in Christ Jesus. That that was the point. And the other thing's true. You end up with false guilt. How many of you, if you grew up in a certain type of maybe camp or group, I know a bunch of, whether you're Pentecostal or Catholic or different groups, man, if you didn't keep the rules, shame, shame, shame. Shame on you. Did mom have a finger thing where she did the shame thing? Oh my gosh, shame on you. No, shame on you, mom. Anyway, you shame me, shame back at you. No, you don't shame anybody. I'll prove it to you. Go go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Walk around with Jesus for four books of the Bible. And do you ever find him shaming anybody? The only people he ever gets angry at are religious people who think they're better than everybody else. That's the only people that he gets mad and yells at. How crazy. But yet you get into most religious circles and it's like, how good have you been? It's like God is the cosmic Santa Claus. He's keeping a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. And what we all determine is basically we're all naughty. Santa is not nearly as awesome as Jesus. Santa only works one day out of the year and the rest of the time he's just checking a list and judging you all the time. Think about that. So that's why there's no joy. There's no joy in legalism. There's no joy. Why? It either makes you guilty because you're not good enough or it makes you arrogant because you think you're better than others. Have you ever met an arrogant Christian that was a self-righteous person and thought, man, they're so happy. Oh my, the joy that they have. No, they're usually like cranky and grumpy and mean spirited. There's no joy in legalism. You ever walk around with guilt and shame? Is that joy? No. So Paul's going to release you of that and free you of that and help you experience a more abundant life. And so what he gets into for the next chapter, and we'll break it up a little bit, is that he wants to change your focus. The way that you see your past, the way that you see your present, and the way that you see your future. If you're taking notes, number one is this. What you'll see is this, is that you need to, for the focus of joy, you need to see God's redemption in your past. Sometimes when you look in your past, what Paul does is he actually gives his past. He links uh, or lists out all this great stuff that he had accomplished, and then he goes on to tell you it was all worthless. It was all in vain. Watch, this is what he says. He goes, whatever was profit was my profit, all the things I'd accomplished, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything. Everybody say everything. He goes, look, I have had a jaded past because I was really arrogant, religious, and self-righteous. That's a loss. And then I became mean-spirited, and I was imprisoning people and beating people, and that was bad. I figured out that was a loss. He goes, actually, what I consider is, is that the closer I get to Jesus, everything's a loss. Like nothing compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Everybody say rubbish. And if you can do the roll with the R, like do it like that, because it's really cool, but I can't do that. Rubbish. I don't know how you do that. Rubbish. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And what he, what he's basically saying is this, is I looked at my past and I looked at all my accomplishments and I realized, well, that was kind of in, in vain. That was, I'd missed the point because I thought, I thought all my accomplishments made me right with God. And then I had a part of my life where I was like mean spirited and, and hurt people. And I figured out that was loss as well. As a matter of fact, it's all loss. As a matter of fact, it's, everybody say, all right, you're in church. It's Christmas. I'm going to make it real weird. Are you ready? Everybody say poo. Everybody say poo. 
So that word rubbish, it's the Greek word poo. I didn't put that in there, y'all. It's scubula. Is if you want to get Greek, scubula. It's crass. It's literally the crass word for. I'm not even giving it due justice. It's worse than poo, but we'll stop at poo because some of y'all can't handle more than that. And he goes, "You're it's poo. It's poo. You know what you do? What do you do with poo? Well, that's not. That's not this isn't called to response here. You know, this isn't like Catholic Church or President where we say things and y'all say stuff back. So. Just amen me if I do something good. But we, sometimes you don't want to respond to like a rhetorical question. What do you do? You, you take, as a matter of fact, that's what Paul is kind of saying here. He's saying ultimately that if there's anything in your past that haunts you, if there's anything in your past that weighs you down, if there's anything in your past that guilts you or shames you, if, the, if it is, he goes, it's poop. And what do you do with poop? You take it out with the trash. You get rid of it. That's what you do with it. And that's, I'm just telling you what the apostle Paul says. I'm exegeting scripture. So let me help you out real quick here. Here's what I want you to do. How do I let God redeem my past? Here's if you're taking notes. Number one is this. I need to experience God's forgiveness. Like I need an overwhelming revelation of God's forgiveness in my life. Like it's mind blowing to think that if I come, I mean, the, John says it so simply. He goes, listen, 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 just do this. Just do this. If you'll come and confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and not just to forgive you, but then to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Just come. There's an invitation for God just to wipe it all away. As a matter of fact, Paul says something even maybe more radical. He goes, you've got to recognize, this is out of Corinthians. He said, you got to recognize that God was redeeming the whole world through Christ Jesus, not counting men's sins against them. I mean, he gets radical with this idea of no, come to God and be in relationship with God. Because here's the deal. If you actually walk closely to God, you don't have to really worry too much about any rules at all. You ever notice that? You ever like really have a a season of life where you felt so close to God, you didn't have to worry about whether or not you kicked the dog. You didn't have to like, man, I really ought to not rob that liquor store today. You know, that's, that's on the edge, Todd. I don't know if I should do. You, you're just walking because when you walk with God, the Bible says that the, the byproduct of walking with God is that your life just overflows with things like love and peace and joy and self-discipline and kindness. Like, no, the, the byproduct of walking with God is that your life just spills over. Into the goodness of who God is. And so you just, you gotta experience that though. You gotta have a radical experience with the forgiveness of God. Here's another thing you have to have is you have to actually have to forgive yourself. This is what I run into. I don't know if you're like me. I'm perfectly happy letting God forgive me. I'm all about the grace of God. I'm all about the forgiveness of God. I love it. But sometimes I'm hard on myself. Are you your own worst critic sometimes? Are you the one that's so self-conscious? You're beating yourself up. You're noticing all your flaws. You're noticing all your problems. You're being hard on yourself. I've just noticed this, that the more I walk with God, I'm perfectly happy to let God forgive me. I love the grace of God. Sometimes I'm not gracious to myself. And what I do is I actually become a prisoner to my own problems because I don't let myself go. Third and lastly is this not only do I need to forgive myself, I actually need to use my past to help someone else. That's how you really begin to redeem. You you can't do this until you let God wash over you with forgiveness. But if you do, I'm telling you what you do is you take all your funk and all your crazy and all your weird and all your past and all your problems and all your pain. And you'll figure out a way to say, you know what? I've got this pain that God helped me overcome. I'm going to take somebody else by the hand and I'm going to help them overcome it too. 
That's when you really begin to let God redeem your past. Is when you say, you know what? Not only is it forgiven before God, I've even let myself off the hook. And now I'm going to turn it around and use it for the glory of God. So next thing you need to do when it comes to your life, not only do you need to see God's redemption for your past, you need to see God's purpose for your present. There's something that God wants to do in you right here, right now. So you can't be focused on the past. You can't be fully focused on the future, believe it or not. Your greatest focus actually needs to be right here, right now. And here's what this means. Philippians 3, 12, he says this. He goes, not that I have already obtained all this, meaning so walking closely with God that he somehow arrived. He goes, I haven't arrived or have been made perfect, but I press on. Everybody say, I press on. I press on and look at the language. Look how he words this. He goes, I press on to take hold of that. For which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I live my life trying to take hold of that. Everybody say that. For which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Here's the point is, is that you got to figure out God's purpose for your life right here, right now. What's God doing? How's God going to redeem that, that thing from my past and use it right here, right now? Some of you are waiting on some future purpose. You're waiting on like God to reveal something to you for your future. And I'm telling you, you need to be dialed into the right here, right now. Here's how I want you to do that. Number one is this. How do I find God's purpose for my life? Number one is this. Stop disqualifying yourself. Again, if you look into your past... Somebody, some people do that all the time. I'll, I'll say something to them like, no, 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 not me. <laughs> you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been up to. You know, stop disqualifying yourself with your past. Stop disqualifying yourself with guilt. Hey, here's a, here's a radical notion because this is where Californians are. Let me speak to you. Stop disqualifying yourself with busyness. May have got quiet up in here. Stop disqualifying yourself with busyness. Some of you are so busy that the purpose of God passes you by every single day. Literally, purpose is passing by. Meaning is passing you by. Something powerful, an impactful moment is passing you by. You literally have your head down looking at a screen or you have your calendar so chocked full of things, you have no time for the purpose of God. And you're gonna, this is the fear, is that if you live a life like that, you'll live a life where you eventually become to the same understanding that Paul did. It was all a loss. It didn't mean anything. It was all in vain. Think about all the things that we allow to consume our time and our schedule and our calendar. And then think about you thinking about those things at the end of your life and think, man, I wasted all that time doing this. I spent all that time doing that when I could have been making an eternal difference in the kingdom of God. I could have been doing something purposeful and powerful. And it was, you'll, you'll, and you'll, you'll have a certain sense of regret because you'll be like, God, it was all a loss. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't be distracted. Number two is this, is discover your gifts and talents. Every one of you has a certain amount of like talent and gifting and unique makeup and personality. You have this incredible cluster of gifts and the timing and all these different things come together. As a matter of fact, this is what we're doing with First Connect. If you've ever been through our First Connect class, we spend a little bit of time talking about this, but we're reshifting it. So next year, our entire focus on First Connect is this right here. We're rewriting the curriculum because here, here's the deal. I want to help you discover your gifts and talents. I want you to discover your purpose and do something incredible. That's what I really want. So we're rewriting the book on First Connect. And so I want you to discover your purpose. 
I want you to figure out who it is that you are, how God designs you, what is your unique makeup, what are your gifts and talents, and how can you harness that for real purpose, real meaning, eternal difference. That's what we want to do. It's you've got to discover your gifts and talents. Number three is this, is realize that God's purposes are both macro and micro. Like sometimes, again, we're so focused on like, and don't get me wrong, there's a big game, there's a big plan, there's a long term, there's a, there is. But some of us, we miss it because we think we were waiting on something. The reality is this. You have little interactions every single day with the cashier, with a person at work, with a neighbor, with somebody that you meet randomly. Like I did this the other day. Like I was stuck in an airport for six hours. I felt like the Apostle Paul. I was in a prison. And I couldn't get out because I didn't want to go through security again. And I thought, you know what? I'm stuck here for six hours. And I said to myself, I was like, man, I'm going to be so miserable if I don't change my focus. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go do something. And so I literally, I ended up at a, at a, like a sports bar watching football because it was Saturday. All these football games on. And I just sat there and talked to as many people as I could and loved on and blessed and made friends. You're there for six hours. You're making friends. And I just thought, how can I, how can I engage it? So that's at the most small level. You have these little tiny, micro interactions with people all the time and and people who are really dialed into their purpose what they're aware is this is that god is bringing people in and out and around me all the time how can i make a difference who can can i pray for who can i encourage who can i invite to church who can i you're just always looking for little micro moments but there's also a macro level too because sometimes you forget like sometimes the best question you can ask yourself is like god what is my purpose as a dad and some of you dads never do that before. What is my purpose as a dad? Before God Almighty, what have you called me to do? And how can I do it in a most Christ-like way and be an incredible dad? How can I be an incredible wife? How can I be an incredible mom? How can I be an incredible employee today? And so what you, you do is you're not just looking for like the little interactions and the little moments. You're actually looking at the big picture and say, God, who are you trying to create me to be? And what is my purpose in the bigger elements of life? And so we're looking for God in our purpose, in our present, right here, right now. Number three is this. If you're taking notes, last one, and we'll close because there's steak awaiting us. Number three is this. We want to see God's hope for our future. This is what he addresses by the end of the chapter here. So he's talked about your past and he goes, it's rubbish, it's poo, let it go. It's not a big deal. Hey, if your past is brilliant and you're smart and you made a lot of money and you did really well, great. You might want to not be arrogant, just be grateful. Because you're like a turtle on a fence post anyway. You did not get there by yourself. So don't take too much credit for it. If your past was garbage and terrible and horrible and filled all kinds of failures and mistakes, let that go. It's poo. Take it out with the trash. Let it go. Focus on your present. Right here, right now, God wants to do something in you and through you. But don't forget this too. There's hope for your future. And this is what he says. He goes, because our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything, everybody say everything, Everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will one day be like his glorious body. It's just this really cool picture of like hope. He goes, no, 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 your past, 
Man, let God redeem that. Let God use that. Your present, dial into your purpose. Figure out who you are and who God created you to be and how you can make an eternal difference. Don't miss that. But let me anchor you with just a little bit of hope. I want you to find hope in your future. So how do I stay hopeful? Number one is this. Remember that Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. Some of us get so excited by the idea of like going to a wonderful place. Let me just say it like this. If Jesus is not there, it is not heaven. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. Or we can say it like this. If Jesus is not the king of the kingdom, I don't want to be in that kingdom. I want to live in a kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns. It's Jesus. And I'm awaiting him. Number two is this, is what Paul reveals to us is that God has got this whole thing under control. You know, God has never had a surprise party before. Never. He never had a moment where he was like, whoo, I didn't see that coming. He had, he has never had a moment where he looked at the angels and goes, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> Good luck. God's never had that moment. And you're putting your faith in a God who has all things or everything under his control. So the very things that stress you out and worry you and you think, oh, I got to fix this and this has got to be just perfect and I got to make this right. I got Listen, listen, don't disqualify yourself by looking at the wrong thing. Let God be in control. You focus on his purpose for your life. And number three is this, is that one day God will make all things new. Yesterday I got invited to a birthday party and it was so awesome because it was a birthday party uh, where someone turned 60, but it was kind of a dual party because they were celebrating being cancer free. How awesome is that? What a celebration. And as much as it is that we want life right here, right now, I want to just give you this hope, this anchor to your soul, this promise for the future is that one day God's going to make all things new. The Bible says that, that you, on the other side of, of death, that there is the place in the presence of Jesus where God makes all things new. He talks about a new heaven and a new Jerusalem and a new earth and new bodies. He said the lion will wait, lay down with the lamb, meaning I'm going to create a new level of peace on the earth. I, I, he goes, I'm going to wipe away tears and I'm going to take away pain. He goes, I want you to be anchored by a hope that says God has got it all under control and I don't know what's going to go on in this life and I don't know, I'm, I, I, will, I will definitely experience some level of pain and suffering even, but Jesus will experience it with me and I will walk with him through it. But one day, everybody say one day. One day he will make all things new. And the joy mindset is really this. It's that joy is found when I see my past, when I see my present, and I see my future through God's eyes. Some of us are stressed about the future. You know what your long-term future is? It's newness in heaven with Jesus. Some of us are guilted by our past, weighed down by our past. And Paul said, man, let that go. You need to take that out with the trash. Best thing that you can do is discover who you are right now in Christ. And start living out his plan and his purpose for your life. You do those three things. And you will be one of those people that walk around. And you don't even know why. But you got something that wells up within you. It's a deep well. And it gives you incredible joy. Let's pray this morning.
So Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, would you help us live with that type of joy? The, the type of joy that says, man, I'm going to let go of the past. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to let that go. I've got a hopeful future. And God, you've got something for me right here, right now, God. Help me to keep my eyes on you at all times. Help me to walk with you at all times. And in doing so, walk in your incredible joy. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, amen. Yeah, will you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Come on, you can do better than that.